welcome to The Worst Best Sellers, where we read about what it sounds like when two influencers divorce so you don't have to. I'm Kate. <laughs> and I'm Renata. And for this episode, we read Didn't See That Coming by Rachel Hollis. Joining us to discuss the latest entry in the Girl Washer Cinematic Universe is <laughs> fellow white Oprah aspirant Margaret H. Willison. Hi, guys. Hi, Margaret. <laughs> Uh, thank you so much for giving me the privilege of continuing my journey with Rachel Hollis. It's just really, <laughs> it really means a lot to me in this season of my life. <laughs> you know, we did skip, we did skip Girl Stop Apologizing. And, and you know what? I'm not going to apologize for that. <laughs> I, I think, I don't think Rachel Hollis would want you to. <laughs> I've gathered that much. I don't think that she would. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to say a couple things before we get started. Um, first of all, I am Team Seltzer, and thank you to fellow Team, Seltzer. team Seltzers I've seen in the chat. Um, second of all, I really want to thank Porter Square Books for hosting us. I want to thank everyone for coming. And in con- like, Kate and I really do shop at Porter Square Books, and when we, hey, Margaret does too, and Margaret does don't, too. Don't I didn't want to race me. I didn't want to speak for you, but thank you for your self advocacy mm-hmm. and for supporting local businesses. I hacked my courage. <laughs> Thank you. I love that journey for you. Um, <laughs> anyway, we were really nervous that we were going to be like, hey, favorite bookstore, can we have an event with you? And then like no one would come and then we would have to stop shopping there from the shame. And I, masks, hats pulled down over <laughs> our heads. It would be awful. I mean, I, I guess we could keep shopping online at their 24-7 website, but Sorry, I just remembered I have a book that I need to pick up that I did buy online like a month ago. (laughs) It'll still be there. It'll still be there. Mm -hmm. Um, So thank you to everyone involved with that. And then third, I did want to say that long after we booked this, I realized like, oh, we are talking about one of the most heteronormative, cisnormative books possible on Transgender Day of Visibility. So I just want to acknowledge acknowledge. We didn't really plan that. We're sorry. Yeah. And um, trans lives are only a visible in relief in this book, yeah. right? We're just, we're documenting the, the toxicity of straight culture, right? Mm-hmm. To make visible the space it's not occupying. Yes. You Thank see? you. you see? Thank you for that. Yeah. You know, but if, if you're not already, check out ACLU, check out, like, there's there's some things we could be working on. Um, but first, we have to work on ourselves and our journeys. Yeah. And um, Rachel Hollis might, is here for that. Yes. You might remember, if you uh, are a fan of the show, that about this time last year, uh, Margaret was on and we read uh, Rachel Hollis's first self-help book, Girl, wash your face, which was not about face washing, as we discovered as we read it, which was a shock to us. Um, and we hated it. So and much. <laughs> we hated it very much. So when we booked this, here's my disclaimer at the top of the show. When we booked this, we were like, well, the last episode was so funny. We had so much fun. We didn't like it. We'll read this other book. It'll be fine. And normally when we do live episodes, we choose like very over the top things like The Notebook or Interview with a Vampire. Mm-hmm. Uh, so then we read this book, and uh, it could just be quarantine talking, but by the end of it, Renata and I uh, cried. No, all three of us cried. We cried. Yeah. Yeah. Thought that some of it, it thought it wasn't maybe that bad. <laughs> As yeah. I said, when we were discussing it yesterday, I really thought reading this book was going to be a very hard season in my life, <laughs> and it turned out to be more of like a mildly annoying season. Yeah, it, it was a mellow spring with a little rain. <laughs> 
Yeah. But here's what's good is, again, when we were talking about booking this, um, we emailed Lila and we're like, can we do this event? And she was like, well, we're a bookstore and we try to sell books. So you guys are making <laughs> fun of books. So I don't know. And we're like, oh, no, it's fine. Because, like, sometimes we like the books that we talk about. But in my heart, I was like, not this one. But you know what? We do like this. Well, like is a strong word. We didn't hate this book. Hate it. If you if you picked this book up out of like one of those little free libraries, I wouldn't like bat it out of your hand. Right. I wouldn't like run up in slow motion and be like, no. I'd be yeah. like, yeah, sure, that seems reasonable. Oh, well, Moth has decided to to join us. Oh, hi, Moth. He's probably attracted to the giant salt lamp <laughs> <laughs> on the left side of my computer. Or that- the mango seltzer aid side of the computer. As opposed to the cherry limeade side, I have um, I have seltzer cans for laptop risers right now. <laughs> Cassandra is right. Didn't see that coming is a good joke. We did not see coming that we would like. Didn't see that coming. Um, it's true. Also, I want to say one thing that we thought of. Okay, so Rachel Hollis, like Kate was saying, we've already read one of her books, so hopefully you're sort of familiar with her. Like. Christian mom blog, influencer, lifestyle, motivational speaker kind of deal. And then, and sh- she talks a lot about her marriage and like tips for a healthy marriage. And then she got divorced and announced the divorce on Instagram and then announced this book. Didn't see that coming like <laughs> a week later or something like that. And we were like, what? <laughs> like, truly, we didn't see this coming, but we were also like, how did she get this book about her divorce out so quickly? And and then in reading it, spoiler alert, it turns out she already had this book that was sort of generally about coping with bad things and like surprising bad things. Um, she had that lined up and then she got divorced like three days before the book was due or something like that. Like, so then she it was going into final edits. I think. Oh, yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So then um, then she had to go and just kind of like spackle a code of divorce over the framework of this pre-existing book, like the drywall of, by the way, I guess we should have done a content warning like 10 minutes ago, but uh-huh. here's, here's one. I think this book is a lot about her coping with her brother's death by suicide. And I think that probably would have been an even bigger part of it. Um, before her divorce and then the divorce spackled over some of that. Mm-hmm. She's really, she's very into the, the home renovation metaphors in this book. Oh boy. To, a, to sure quite is. a degree, to quite a degree. <laughs> I didn't love that, but that's for the dramatic reading. That's, that's for later. the dramatic reading. You'll get to hear about that later. Um, yeah. So, so we will, I, I, I'm speaking for all of us because we did actually talk about this prior to the uh, recording of this podcast tonight. Um, but we had jokingly been calling this girl wash your divorce because we couldn't remember uh, what it was actually titled. So it was a little disappointing that it did not like, I, I have to admit, like there was a part of me that kind of wanted to rubber neck her marriage. Yeah. Because she yeah. did. And here's why in the first book, if you didn't listen to that episode, she talks a lot about how she met her husband and she tells the story as if it's not her husband. She's talking about, about this when she was 19 years old and she was working at Miramax, this Disney executive who is like 10 years older than her uh, started dating her, but like kept it a secret and didn't want to tell his friends. And she gave up her virginity for him to try to keep him when he was going to dump her. And the, at the end it's like, and now I'm married to him and he's great. And he's a great husband and father. And (laughs) 
And we were skeptical. To say the we least. were skeptical. We were a little skeptical about yeah. it. And it seems like maybe we were justified, but we truly did not get as many of the gory details in that respect as I was hoping for. So yes. I guess I'll just have to wait for the next one. I'll have to yeah. wait for like, girl, get your groove back or whatever. <laughs> Margaret, we'll see you back here in one year. (laughs) (laughs) But the latest Rachel Hollis uh, publication. By the way, her husband, her ex-husband Dave also put out his own self-help book that is largely the copy of it is just like, I thought self-help books like the ones my wife writes were dumb and stupid and for girls. But then I realized I could make money from them. So I wrote (laughs) (laughs) I wish we were joking. This is almost exactly what the back cover copy of this book is. Yeah. It doesn't blatantly say the part about making money, but the rest of it, it pretty much blatantly says. Yes. Um, and many, many people have told us that we need to read this book. We've heard you. <laughs> it's we're on working. a list somewhere. You know, I think that reading this gave me the moral strength to the, that I maybe will be able to tackle Dave's Right, book. right. Like we'd yeah. saved up the energy for this hard season and like we didn't have to use it so now we have that resiliency like in our back pocket to take dave's book on yeah, um, yeah we we've made our goals that we've kept to to strengthen us and strengthen our resiliency so we're ready to tackle hard things and yeah. so <laughs> sorry i'm just laughing at boy shave your beard that's <laughs> It's like, oh, our listeners are so. I, I think can't... it would really be boy trim your beard though, that's right? True. Yeah, because that's actually the, the the boys they they know shaved and unshaved, like they've mastered that. But I don't think they understand trim, just like meat. <laughs> they pretend like, you're the son of the. <laughs> Um, oh well, we need to stop laughing at the chat because of very unsatisfying, just that was, Josh. Uh, <laughs> a very I, unsatisfying listening experience for the for the future podcast. Yes, people. true. Yes. Okay, but you guys are cr- killing it, so it's really hard. I I just want to thank everyone in the chat for taking the time and being present with us, and I want to reward them by acknowledging their very good jokes. And everyone yes. who's listening in the future, you had your chance. You had your chance. Mm-hmm. Um, so but yeah, gonna- maybe. Yeah, maybe we should start doing the podcast. Yeah, and I was going to say, we. so the last time we did um, Rachel Hollis's last book, we stole a bit from one of our other favorite podcasts, who are friends of ours, so they're probably okay with us stealing it, which is the high points and low points from I didn't even, I, I don't even own a television. Yeah, they haven't um, sued us yet. So. Yes, <laughs> and and Jay and Collision, please don't, please. <laughs> Uh, so we're we're gonna do that just because, you know, normally this would be where we talked about the plot of the book for, you know, an in- million minutes and this doesn't have a plot it's just literally her going through different steps for what to do when you find yourself um grieving or dealing with trauma or other hard hard seasons in your life that you need to get through uh, and it's all different uh steps in her her advice for how to do this so instead of going through all of them we're going to hit some. Do we want to do high points or low points first? Let's let's start with high points because that's what's first in the Google Doc. Okay. Um, okay. So I am first in the Google Doc <laughs> in the high points. So I guess I'll start. Um, so one of, one of the stories that she tells, which is I'm not going to go into it because I'm not that interested in... Yeah. 
Rachel wait. Hollis's scat play, but wait. no, Kate, you have to. <laughs> okay, so she tells a story about how uh, she when she took her the people from her business, uh, they all went up to a self help seminar, a business seminar um, together. Scammers for scammers, I think it was called. <laughs> <laughs> and um, when they were out, they were like so jazzed and so excited about how like invigorated they felt. And they decided that together as a group, they were going to choose something that they were going to do together to like build up their resilience and like show that they're serious about tackling goals. And for whatever reason, they decided it was going to be a juice cleanse. Which I was really the- expecting tattoo. And I then tattoo. I also so left into juice cleanse and I was like, okay, well, yeah, That's- it didn't really it didn't really track for me, but then I thought about who the people involved were and I got back on. <laughs> yeah, it was a real it was a real window into another life and experience for me, which is a beautiful thing. <laughs> <laughs> I got to turn the chat off cuz I keep looking at it. Um so Annie, I love your Nexium joke. Uh <laughs> So they decided they were going to do this juice cleanse. And after like day three of the juice cleanse, she was alone in her kitchen doing some work and she thought she had to pass. She thought she had to pass gas. So she kind of like wiggled around in her seat to kind of push it out. And it was not gas. And instead she shit her pants. Yeah. And uh, she goes into this in slightly more detail than I did. I'm not that interested in it, but projectile shitting, I think would be a reasonable way to describe it. Yeah. 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 Um, and, but and it's not even like really what the point is that I want to make is that, and no, it's not even it's what the a, point is that she wanted to make, which is a that, full side journey, which there yeah. are a lot of in this book, which makes me think she had a word count she had to hit and she didn't have the easiest time getting to it. Yeah. So she, so she, um, t- the part of the story that is important to what she's saying and is important to what I thought of as a high point is that one of her friends, uh, came home and told her spouse, like, Oh, it was amazing. Like, I, I feel transformed. Like, we're all going to do this juice cleanse. It was so great. Like, you need to do this juice cleanse with me. And um, her spouse said, where's the exact quote? I didn't have your experience. I didn't go on that journey. I'm not ready for or interested in a juice cleanse. And it was funny. That was funny. So that is one of the reasons why I thought that that was a high point for me. But the other mm-hmm. one is that I have been in that position before because she goes on to talk about Shitting how like, your pants? <laughs> not being ready to go on a journey or wanting someone to go on a journey with me because um, she talks sure. about oh, how sure. you, get so, you get so excited about something that you just want everyone to do it with you because you want them to feel how good you feel and you want mm-hmm. to share this <laughs> with them. But they're not necessarily in the same place you are with that. And that is something that I do feel like all the time like I'll get into something or I'll want to go somewhere or just like have this great experience that I want to go back and do again and bring all of my friends so that they could see how cool it is and like they they won't though because they didn't have the first experience and it is like a hard lesson to learn and I did poop anecdotes aside I did appreciate it being in there it was one of the first things in the book that I was like Oh, maybe this all isn't bullshit. Like this is, yes, actually I do. I do see myself in this in a way that I'm not necessarily comfortable with, but here we are. Yes. Well, and also to add on to that, one thing that we all hated in uh, Girl, Wash Your Face was that she, she talked about her eating disorder like it was in a past tense, but then she clearly still had 
a lot of issues around food and body image and talking about binge eating and stuff like that. Yeah. And so when I she veered to 50 pounds overweight was persistently said it is like the worst thing you could possibly experience. Like you yes. are garbage. If you're yes, pounds like you're overweight. at rock bottom, you're 50 pounds <laughs> overweight. Here's what you should do next. Mm-hmm. Um, Kate, you're being dragged. In I, know. <laughs> I know. I know. I'm being dragged. Yes, Dave Malloy musicals. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> Everyone should experience Dave Malloy musicals. Um, Some of and, them, yes. And many people in the chat also were saying, why would she tell this story? And like, she also mentioned she tells the story live in her motivational speeches. Um, you know, I. Okay. A side note, I was in the Peace Corps and everyone you know who's ever done the Peace Corps has also shit their pants. And <laughs> it's just the nature of it. And I'm not going to go into That's detail. That's what makes your core so peaceful, right? Yeah. Yes. Oh, boy. That is, that, is the, that is the MLM that I'm going to start. <laughs> um, Peace Corps laxatives. So I guess based on that, because we you get a little more like comfortable with the concept of it. I don't know. I wasn't as bothered by that, but that's me and my journey. That's what season I'm in as returned mm-hmm. Peace Corps mm-hmm. volunteer. Um, and what I wanted to say was based on all of her food issues in the past, when, she, when this train started pulling into juice cleanse station, I really was expecting the end of the story to be like, and the juice cleanse was amazing and everyone should do a juice cleanse. Mm-hmm. And so I actually, I felt like that was a real sign of growth from Rachel that she was like, Oh, this is bad. And it made me shit my pants and it wasn't you know even though I lost weight I wouldn't recommend this and I was like okay yeah great. evidence of the growth mindset Rachel <laughs> possesses that Dave apparently lacks yes, we'll to, a, to, to an extreme <laughs> yes. degree we'll get to that dragging yes. subsequently yes um, um I appreciated this because it was one of the few insights in the book that I was like well that's a that's a good insight that's useful advice that was also actually Rachel's most of this book is Rachel summarizing other people's work. And like in her defense, she has good taste in the work in her offense. Um, yeah, I hate her writing voice. Like with like, like, like just loathe her writing voice. And so she's just like, she just Hollis is all over it. And I'm like, <laughs> Oh, could you back up with your faux relatability? Just in in some that. ways, this like influencer book, it is like a Pinterest in book form. Yeah, where she's like, "Oh, Ooh, I read this well book. Put. Pin in this chapter. I listen to this podcast. <laughs> pin in this chapter. Yeah, and then, but then around it are like her captions that she wrote for her pins, and those are maybe the weakest part. <laughs> yeah, yep, that's exactly right. Very, very well put. Um, and I should say, by the way, in our reader's advisory list, um, we didn't caption them, but some of the ones in there are the ones that she recommended. But because I was like, oh, that does sound good. Maybe I will read that. So like this essentialism, the disciplined pursuit of less is one that she had suggested. Mindset by Carol Dweck is one that she quoted in there. And I was like, I don't know, maybe it sounds good. So I don't necessarily vouch for those. I do vouch for Jonathan Van Ness. <laughs> just looking at the list. Um, yeah. So the, the book, it is a little like a Pinterest. Um, Margaret, did you have more that you wanted to say on this particular issue? No, I feel like this high but, point. Oh yeah. Cause you had a separate high point. Yeah. Yes. Oh yeah. Should I, should I jump in on my high point now? Um, yeah. Why don't you? Yeah. Great. So Jesus, take the wheel. <laughs> thank you. Um, one of the chapters that she had that spoke to me 
as of as I identified in the early opening, fellow white Oprah aspirant, uh, is all about how she had to work to develop boundaries and how that was especially essential once she became high key internet famous. And um, as someone who is low key internet famous, I really related to this experience uh, because she's basically talking about like it got to the point after Girl Wash Your Face was published where like strangers would just come up to her in the supermarket and without even saying hi, like just start talking to her about their um, like their traumatic sexual assaults. And things like that. And she really didn't have any idea how to handle it. And she was responding to every single one of their messages all of the time. And uh, it was tied into her trauma with her brother because she was very worried that writer that that people who were fans would be writing to her and saying they were struggling with suicidal ideation. And if she didn't respond, you know, she would like feel responsible for their deaths. Um And I was like, wow, this is very, very real. And I feel like a valuable thing to illuminate for people, which is how weird the parasocial relationships we develop through the internet are. And Rachel Hollis, this is like a big part of how she writes and how she presents herself. And it's something I both relate to and struggle with, which is something I should probably talk to my therapist about. (laughs) Um, which also snaps to Rachel. She's very pro therapy throughout this whole book. And um, that's a great thing to see. Uh, which is one of the things that we liked about uh, Girl, Wash Your Face also was that it, yes. she's pro therapy. That's great. Yeah, that's so are great. we. But anyways, Rachel has this relationship with her readers um, where they feel as though they know her. They feel like she's their sister or so she presents it. And I credit it. I credit it um, because I can't imagine reading this if you didn't deeply identify with her. You know what I mean? Because otherwise, again, you'd get 13 pages into the 86th use of season and you would just throw the book across the room in, in a blind fury. Um, but I guess if you're raised in a culture where like we do reference that Bible verse about seasons constantly, you'd be like, oh, this is very this is this is this feels like home. But there's the problem where, you know, you feel like a sister to them, but like, I'm always ready to take on faith that if someone likes me, I'll like them back. And for the most part, that's worked out for me, like much better than it should have. I think it really helps that I feel like I operate culturally on a frequency that is just like straight men can't hear. (laughs) (laughs) Like dogs. (laughs) I think that's really my secret. May may we all aspire to that. Truly, just to constantly fly under the radar. It's a little inconvenient on dating apps, but otherwise it's a great existence. Um, Let the church say amen. (laughs) And it's clear that Rachel sort of has that feeling too. And I guess I just, one, when you're extracting as much money out of that relationship as Rachel Hollis is, I struggle with believing it to be sincere. And two, when it's on the scale that it appeals appears to be on with her, I further struggle with believing that it's true. And then three, she has like a very hard line, aggressive stance. Like she's just like, there are things that are good. There are things that are bad. And she's going to fucking real talk to you. Right. And she's not going to let you off the hook. She's not that kind of friend. We hold each other accountable in this space. And I don't think you get to talk to strangers like that. I don't think that's appropriate, which is tied to my low point. 
So I'll save some of my energy for that for later. But what did you guys make of that chapter with the boundary setting and the navigating her parasocial relationships issue? It, you're incrementally less popular on the internet than me. Did you relate to it still? There, there were aspects of it that I related to, um, <laughs> you know, both through this and through like my fandom life and just... Sure. It's it's very um, you know my secret other life that I talk about all the time on the podcast, so it's not actually <laughs> a secret. Um, where it just, especially because because we are lower key famous, it is but, it's even harder even, to draw. Even so, though, yeah, occasionally, um, you know, people will tweet at us or people have shared things with us via social media that made me like worried and uncomfortable and. But I also like I think too, like people have also shared really great things with yeah. us. Oh yeah. Um, about like very personal, very great things, which I do like deeply appreciate. So it is, and it's it is a harder, it's harder for me to draw the line, especially because so many folks who I've met through the podcast have become friends. Same. That it's it's a weird, it's a weird place. Um to be, and it is a hard line to draw. And it is something that I do think about. We have a Discord now. Um and we're like, I monitor it and we're both like in and out of it. And it is weird. Hi to everyone from discord. Um, and it is, it is weird sometimes to like be like just chatting with people about animal crossing and then be like, Oh, like they're in, <laughs> they're, they're in this discord. Cause they, they are fans of us. So I feel like maybe I need to be cool, except I really just am excited about the West wing. And I do just want to talk about that a lot. So it's a it's a strange it's a strange thing to I think it's I think it's easy to navigate. I think one of the reasons why I don't find it that weird is because I'm on both sides of the parasocial internet relationship, right? Like there are like I really feel like I know Griffin and David of blank check. And I just feel like like I know John Hodgman is gonna be my friend someday. Like I just I just Absolutely. I know it's gonna happen. Like he'd like me. We sort of know each yeah. other. It's fine. Yeah. And I'm so normal about it. Right? So I have <laughs> I have those relationships with people and I understand what that's like. Um, and as long as people like acknowledge, like I know you don't actually know me, but I feel as though I know you, right? And give you that space to just kind of ease in to meeting them where they're at in their parasocial relationship with you. It's very easy to build a friendship, right? Because I put, so much of myself in my work. Like my work is very representative of who I am, what I value and how I see the world. So like odds are if you're responding to it or deaf to it, like most straight men, <laughs> something valuable is being communicated there, you know, about uh, how we would get along and, and what it would be like talking to one another. So I've found tons and tons of really good friends through all of my online projects, but it, it, it's something you've got to think through. <laughs> and, um, you know, it's usually the, the rare straight man who, who has found my frequency somehow who like dramatically missteps. Like there was one guy who decided to write into the podcast and be like, Margaret, like we went on a date once and then like, you never went on a second date with me again, but like you should. And I was like, Oh boy. <laughs> it's like, I don't like knowing you're listening to this. I don't like yeah. knowing you're out there. This is, and I, I don't think, I, I mean, I hope he was not trying to do anything like creepy or threatening with that. I think it was probably just like, I'm very open about my life on that. I talk a lot about particularly my quarantine related horniness, you know, and he misread 
the cues, but it was a real yikes, you know, because as a woman on the internet, uh, I tend to think that like my odds of being stalked are like about equal with my odds of getting skin cancer. Like you look at this complexion, you're like, yeah, (laughs) (laughs) can't say you're not at high risk there. Yeah. So anytime I have something like that, it's like, I have to run through all these filters. Like, oh, is this person being deliberately threatening? Is this a stalker that's about to happen? All that stuff. And, you know, this was just someone being like over familiar, Mm -hmm. but over familiarity, it's, uh, it's much more complicated when you make so much of yourself available on the internet. Yeah, it's true. (laughs) Um, Meredith is so nice. (laughs) Before we move on to uh, Renata's high point, I just want to say, I want to hijack this to say that um, my BFF tweeted at me that my uh, almost two-year-old nephew heard my voice when she turned this on and started calling my name, which, like, I was going to cry in the middle of this just hearing that. And that baby is very cute. I love this because I I solicited, I do this thing on my Instagram where I solicit songs and images to go together. And for, like, the, like, what was good about 2020, you and your best friend both sent in pictures of her kid, but at different points, and I think referenced one another in the process with your songs. And uh, he was featured in the in the slideshow twice as a result. It was real cute. And that baby is adorable. He's a very good, like not, I know I'm biased, but he is the smartest, cutest baby in the world. So I'm not biased baby against male children. And I still think he's really cute. So honestly, anyway, it's very impressive. Max Corner is over. Renata, what's your high point? Um, first of all, my high point is everyone in the chat, again, I just can't get over this, this is so nice. I was, again, so nervous, no one would come to this. And, <laughs> and that does actually connect to my high point, because one of her chapters is called Hack Your Courage, and it talks, It the beginning of it is very relatable to me. Again, if you listen to the podcast, or if you know me, like, you know that I talk a lot about being, like, a scaredy cat and a coward, and she starts her chapter with, like, I'm afraid of so many things. I'm afraid of skiing and water skiing and Bigfoot. And it's just this like laundry list of things she's scared of. And I was like, yeah, totally. Um, And then she's like, but I've done like really brave things like travel to Europe by myself and like, um, you know, left home and started my own business. And the reason that I'm, that I'm able to do these scary things is that I, I figure out like, what I, what I want to do that's more powerful than what I'm afraid of, which is kind of, you know, kind of a basic point. Um, but is someone's phone vibrating. Um, my family just heard me say that Max was the cutest, best baby in the world. And my cousin who also has a baby is taking umbrage. Journey's <laughs> also very cute and smart. Sorry. Kate, we're <laughs> professional podcasters. Why do you have that on? Do not disturb. Because I have the timer running, so we don't go for three hours. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> anyway. This is very cute, though. I'm glad I asked. About it. <laughs> uh, anyway, continue, Renata. <laughs> all right. I'm just hacking my courage. Hacking my courage to continue. Um, yeah, and I just found that the way that she wrote about that was was relatable, and I think it is it is good advice, and and something that I hope to be able to continue doing, just keep hacking my courage and, and doing stuff that I'm scared to do and doing it anyway. Just, just, just me and Rachel Hollis. 
and other people probably. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I guess I don't have that much to say about it. I just thought it was a good solid point and I liked it. And I liked the distinction between being scared of big things and little things, Mm -hmm. which was one of the things that she built in there. I I really appreciated that. Um, because I think it can be kind of hard to tease apart that stuff. I don't know how often we think of traits uh, on a sliding scale or in component ways. Um, And I appreciated that. And then I also think it touches on one of my favorite white Oprah observations. I didn't think it really like brought it over the finish line, but like it was floating in the ether, which is that a lot of times the traits about yourself, like we're not, um, we're an ecosystem. Right. You know how like if like a like a tree salamander dies, like suddenly like Black Panthers can't live anymore and so on and so forth. And so like you have to have the whole system for everything to function. I feel like people are like that, too. And it's not like you can just remove a negative trait. Right. And have everything else in your personality ecosystem stay the same. Usually a negative trait is tied to a positive one or or creates competencies in other spaces. So like I am a perpetually late person, just like. Like never, never trust me to be on time anywhere except mostly like planes, trains and buses. And even then, as I said on Twitter the other day, every time I manage it, I feel like the Kamala Harris, like we did it, Joe gif. Like, I feel like that <laughs> level of just like completely relieved. Right. So that's a bad trait. I, I openly accept it. I apologize to all of you. I've been late to meet uh, or flaked on appointments. It's very bad. But I think it corresponds to me being very generous with other people, you know, being really good at letting people come to relationships as they are, you know, and accepting people mm-hmm. on their own terms rather than, um, rather than making to- them go on a juice cleanse journey. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> or right, rather than trying to impose my value system on their actions, sort of listening to them about how they communicate value Right. And trying to interpret it within their frameworks, which is a great trait for friendships. And I will say a very bad practice for romantic relationships. (laughs) Don't recommend that approach there. There you really do want to be a little bit more firm about um, them showing you value in a way you can actually experience emotionally and not just intellectually comprehend. Mm. But look, we've all grown. We've all gone through hard seasons in our lives. And, and with my growing <laughs> mindset, I got to a different place. It is. It's interesting that you say that, too, because I feel like a thing that came up in our discussion of the book is that we feel like a lot of the first book of her, a lot of Girl, Wash Your Face was like, you have to be this way. You have to do this. Like, you have to stop doing this. Whereas I feel like while there were, there was some of that kind of like, I'm the girl boss and I'm telling you what to do in this book, it was generally I think we all agreed a lot kinder a lot like people are in different places and you know you need to only do what you can do and you know there were there were places where that was tossed to the side and I think we'll get to one of them um but but it it did it almost felt like she had gone on that journey and come to that conclusion yeah yeah I just want to in the chat, Ashley is saying, I think you guys are saying this book is good and I need to buy it. And I just, <laughs> no. want, to re- I just want to remind you that we're in high points and we're moving soon to the low point season. And also, um, yeah. as I always like to remind people, we're broken inside. We read Dianetics. So every- <laughs> everything's kind <laughs> of fine to us. 
Mm -hmm. It's fine. Um, But you should obviously still support Porter Square Books and buy one of these other books from the list in the bottom here. Yes. But, I mean, buy this one if you really want, but probably probably don't. If you're sufficiently curious. Yeah, and get it from the library. Exactly what I was about to say. Good work, guys. I did. Yeah. (laughs) I have I have one a print copy waiting for me at the Boston Public Library that I could not pick up before I left, and two, an electronic copy right behind me on my computer screen that yeah. um that you guys helped me find, which is why it's great to do a podcast with a fellow librarian. High five. Um, yeah, or again, yeah, you can just listen to us talk about this particular one instead of reading it yourself. Meredith expressed it exactly right. Uh, the bar was low and it managed to hop slightly over the bar. That is correct. Yeah. yeah. And, and we're it, like, wow, I had no idea it could jump that high. Wow. <laughs> uh, and it does feel like that's a good segue into talking about the low points of the book. Mm-hmm. Um, so and I on, think I'm first in the low points section. You are indeed. So the whole framing of this book, and especially in the introduction, is like she's imagining you, the reader, are picking it up at the in the midst of a hard season in your life, right? You're grieving. You've lost something. You're suffering. Someone's died. You've lost a job. Your marriage has fallen apart. Something in that vein, right? And um, I think that explains why much of it is more compassionate than her other works. But she's still not willing to fully leave her judgmental self behind, right? And this was a section that really made me mad. And it's not a dramatic reading, but I'm going to dramatically read it just the same. When humans go through something hard, they react in one of two ways. They come up the other side, either better or worse. It is impossible to walk through hell and leave it the same way you went in. Nobody walks through fire unscathed. You either burn up into ashes or you get forged in the flames and emerge as something new. So what will you choose? I hate this. I hate this so much, right? I hate this false fucking binary, right? That that you're going to come out one way or the other. And I really hate the idea that you choose. And there are elements of it that, she touches on later in the book, there's, there's an emotional journey that makes it clear why she has this hard ass sense of it. But what I would say is trauma doesn't make you better or worse. It just makes you different. Right. And there are going to be ways you will be different that you appreciate maybe. And there are going to be ways you're different that you'll wish you weren't, you know, I lost my dad very suddenly when I was 16. uh, And I definitely think, by and large, like I am a, I am a, I, well, it's, it's irrevocably a part of who I am now. And I like who I am now. Right. And I think it made me um, more permeable to other people's hurt, you know, and more perceptive of it and better able to engage with that sort of serious space in a way that like, it's hard to have a clearer shortcut than suffering traumatic loss, right? To that kind of um, openness and empathy. But it hadn't affected me in permanently good ways. And I would say I describe myself as an emotional hoarder, which doesn't necessarily mean I hoard things, although 
I do that a little too. <laughs> what it means is I have a really, really hard time dissolving an emotional bond with anyone once I've formed it, right? It's just like, no, all of these people stay in my life forever, right? And dealing with uh, having someone who I care about or, or would be interested in knowing how they're doing and not being able to talk to them is like a really, really emotionally stressful thing for me. And that's not reasonable. And that doesn't necessarily lead to me making healthy choices in my life, like frequently. Um, because sometimes there are relationships like you need to leave, right? There are relationships yeah. that like are not actually meant to happen in your life. There are relationships where both parties are better off if you're not talking but for me, identifying those is completely fritzed out because there's this incredibly important person I never get to talk about, talk to again. And it's just like, well, nobody, I can't have anybody in that category. I've got one person in that category and that's it. Nobody else is allowed to die. Nobody else is allowed to stop speaking to me. No, like it's just, this is a perpetual thing. I hope everyone in the chat understands this. Like you're you're in permanently yeah. now. I hope you guys know. Like, <laughs> there's no getting away. This is a binding contract. And that's just that. <laughs> and I think that's just a much more grounded and reasonable way to understand this. And I just think there is a way you can encourage people to try and stay anchored in the parts of themselves they like and move forward in that, right? And try not to let the parts of trauma that are acting out of incredible pain become a permanent part of their identity. I think you can encourage people to do that without saying like, you're either going to come out, you're either going to be ashes or a Phoenix and, and you have to choose now. And she writes about this book being handed to someone. And again, our culture is so garbage at dealing with other people's grief, right? Uh, you want to hold everything at an arm's length. Uh, don't get me started on the whole greeting card industry because, boy, do I have a rant about it. Um, but there's this element of like, well, if you struggled, like I couldn't possibly relate to what you're going through right now. So like here's a thing that acknowledges you're struggling but also demonstrates how much of a remove you are from me. And she writes about someone giving this book to someone else. And like that is a very traumatic image to me, right? If like imagining someone who's like, doing well and is like ahead of you in their multi-level marketing scheme being like, you're in a really hard season right now. And so I just felt like this book would really speak to you. Right. And you get that book in this thing. And in the first five pages, you're told like right now you have to make a choice. Like, are you going to let this pain make you bitter and sad forever? Or are you going to come through stronger? And this is where the sort of fungible timeline she has really becomes an issue for me, right? Where it's kind of unclear if she's writing to the you 18 months after something has happened, three years after something has happened, or if she's writing to you three weeks after something has happened because she switches the tenses back and forth. And there are ways it is appropriate to talk to someone three years after an event, 18 months after an event, that's not appropriate to talk to them three weeks after it. And I don't think she is responsible about navigating that line and a lot of this stuff that is hard line about like you have to choose is actually very, very counterintuitive to the messages she's saying about like you have to feel your pain. You have to feel and acknowledge your pain because I for a long time, I wasn't a sad person. And I felt like if I experienced my grief fully, it would just completely consume me. Right. And I would just be my grief. I would never be myself again. And so I didn't really 
deal with it in a healthy way at 16, which is hardly shocking. <laughs> um, and I think that that's just our cultural messaging towards that is so much stronger than our cultural messaging towards give your pain space, experience it, acknowledge it, and recognize that it can be a source of strength in the future. Um, and so it's just disappointing to me that she ever deviates from that aspect of the messaging and that she ever caves to this, like, be strong and pick yourself up and wash your face. Bullshit. <laughs> Sorry, that was long. That's all right. Yeah, was no. good. Welcome yeah. to coming to my TED Talk. <laughs> yeah, this is this is why you're an influencer. Um, and I and I agree because earlier in the book, there's a, a nice chapter that's like, um, what part she's first of all, she gives us permission to use cuss words, which I appreciate. <laughs> she's like, um, if you're, if, you're, if you're a good Christian girl, you aren't supposed to use words like bullshit, but honestly, this is bullshit. It's bullshit that this happened and to you and like, whatever it is, it's bullshit. And like, you need to take time and just acknowledge, yeah, that was bullshit. And, um, you know, but then like three chapters later, she's like, anyway, I need to tell you something that no one else is going to tell you. Stop wallowing. And I'm like, wait, <laughs> where did the line come between acknowledging yeah. that it's bullshit and wallowing in the bullshit? Cause it's only been like three chapters. I don't. And I think some of this is just, I read a lot of like, not necessarily self help per se, but like memoirs and like advice columns. Mm-hmm. And I think, like say love letters in the box. Like say love, love letters. Novel? Oh my god, you're so you're such a good influencer. Yes, exactly <laughs> like that. Um, and and I love them, but I also think that with any of those things, at least with a, an advice column, it's usually aimed at the one person who wrote the letter, maybe. But it is hard because you need to give some sort of concrete advice. And you're writing it down and you need to be like, well, here's my statement, and like don't wallow. But if you're actually having a conversation with an the with an actual person, then you can have gray space. And, but if you're writing it down, like if you're writing a book, that's just like, sometimes it's okay to be like this. And sometimes it's not like you can't really, and you just have to like, maybe make a bold statement, even if the statement is infuriate infuriating, just to mm-hmm. like have the book. Yeah. yeah. It's a lot. I feel like I'm very interested. And we talked about this, Oh, actually, we haven't talked about this yet, so never mind. Um, I'm very interested in seeing what the pre-divorce cut of this book was. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Especially because given the uh, divorce coat spackled over the rest of it, it the wallow in this, but stop wallowing. But I'm going to keep talking about my divorce throughout this book. So I also am sort of wallowing. Yeah. Is, is just, it's a very bizarre message to take away. But yeah, it, I would Mer- agree. Meredith, yes, you are a pro-wallowing influencer. And yes. thank you. <laughs> Meredith is one of the rare advice columnists I can read without getting itchy palms. Because even though she comes to coherent advice positions, they're always really compassionate. And there's always a lot of sort of gray space and room for interpretation that's left in there. Right? It's like, this may not be your situation, but here's the overall impression that I've gotten. And speaking to that overall impression this is the course I would set, which is incredible because it's a very small word count. So just Meredith Goldstein's love letters. It is a really good, it is a really good advice column. It's true. And um, podcast. Yes. Yeah. Oh my God. The podcast is so good. 
So in the interest of not being here for three hours, (laughs) I'm going to move on to my low point, which was there is an entire chapter in this book where she talks about how getting your finances in order is an important part of dealing with your grief and trauma. And while there is some merit in that, this is an entire chapter that she goes through without ever mentioning that her husband is a Disney executive um, and that, and this was a huge problem we have with her other book too, where she would talk about these things and try to make herself seem real and like try to make herself seem like one of the girls, but like while also having a husband with Disney money. And she never, like, she mentions a babysitter once in her last book. I mm-hmm. don't think, does she mention a nanny once in this she book? She doesn't mention make it up? any childcare in this. I don't yeah. think. And this book is much less about her children also. Well, yeah. But that's, I mean, that's just one example. Like, there's a lot in it that is told from the perspective of, and and she is told from the perspective of, of a, a woman who can get her finances in order. And I will acknowledge that she does talk a lot about, she did like sort of come from nowhere with nothing and like make herself, but also a lot of that involved marrying a Disney executive. Yeah. Um, The timeline between her making something of herself and having Disney money is, is a, is a, they're pretty, they're pretty much aligned. Yes. Um, So it, it is, it is difficult to know that and to read this section where she's just like, yeah, like if you can't get your finances in order, it's because you just need to like pull yourself up by your bootstraps and like buckle down and do it. And I know because sometimes money was hard for me when I was growing up and I get you it. Not have You cannot have Netflix. Yeah. Right? It's like very... if you have to give up every personal luxury, like that's what you need to do to make sure that your children never suffer. It's like, Okay. And one of the people that she puts on her Pinterest board is Dave Ramsey, who's like a Christian <laughs> money influencer slash dirtbag who <laughs> like re- he's either being sued or like he fires women who are unmarried and get pregnant while they're working for him because there's like a morality clause to work for Dave Ramsey associates or whatever it's called. And you can't have premarital sex and work there. Yikes. Um, yeah, yeah. Premarital sex? Is it okay because she married the Disney executive afterwards? Well, don't know. Well, you know, Dave's not endorsing Rachel. Rachel's endorsing Dave, so I don't know. Yeah. True. Um, but it's so it was just it felt well while there was a lot of this that had me nodding along in a way that I absolutely was not expecting. Um, <laughs> there was a lot of discussion about a lot of holier than thou discussion about money that did not bring class into anything that did not bring her particular status into anything. And it, it gave this really like false shamey. I would say in the last book, there was a lot of shamey food and body stuff. And in this one, it was money in this one. It was, if you don't know how to manage your money, right. If you're afraid to manage your money, right. If you know, you let your money get out of control because you're going through a traumatic event, like, you're doing it wrong and you need to fix your life and like shame on you, which is just like my, it raised my hackles so deeply. It was very, <laughs> it made me very angry. Um, and I, I think that in a book where obviously there are bad messages, but there were some like really good messages too. It's almost like I put my guard down and then just got punched in the face with this fucking nonsense yeah well because in in with the dave ramsey and money stuff this is also when she's talking about fixed mindset versus growth mindset and i really like that i think we all kind of like that stuff um but then when you go and apply it 
and she, again, she didn't invent growth mindset and fixed mindset. No. Um, which if you're not her, familiar. Um, <laughs> and usually her elaborations on the concept are like not great. Like she's like, it's valuable for you to have perspective. And here's a story about me and my ex-husband taking a picture with a leaning tower of Pisa that illustrates the concept of perspective. And you're like, also, she literally put, she literally did like Webster's dictionary defines perspective. She did. She did. The dictionary defines something as at least three times in this book. Yeah. Which is a real yikes. I was like, oh boy, how did your editor, like, who said that was okay? Oh, good. Yeah. Okay. Well, she had the, dic- she follows the dictionary on Pinterest. And so it was easy to just, <laughs> mm-hmm. just, yeah, just, just pin it. That. Yeah. Yes. Pin it right on into the text. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I agree. Like she, and she also like, this is where she kind of comes the closest to throwing Dave under the bus. Cause largely she's like, Dave's still my best friend and we're still like raising our children together. And this is like, but she does talk about how Dave came from more wealth than she did. And that's why he has a fixed mindset. And like, he is not as um, adaptable as she is coming from. And, you know, and it, again, it does genuinely sound like she came from like a pretty rough childhood, like emotionally and also you know, didn't seem like there was a lot of money. Yeah. And it's very interesting because you can sort of see in this book, she's writing from two places, right? She's writing from the place of like a child whose parents did not process a traumatic event. Well, who really suffered from it. And there's a very sort of hardline militant attitude that she's gotten from that, that I don't truck with. And then there's a person who's writing as an adult who has experienced trauma, who, has more compassion for herself and maybe for other people, although it hasn't really gotten all the way there. She hasn't really connected full circle with all of that. And so she's still like, your children should never, ever know you're sad. And it's like, "Mm, I don't think that's true. They're never old enough to know you're sad. That's not true. (laughs) Sometimes they're old enough to know you're sad. You need to be thoughtful about it, but I don't think that shutting down and becoming mom bot is a reasonable thing to do. Or a healthy one. Yeah. Again, we might say that there's some some gray space in here, maybe some some flexibility that could be applied to to the situation of parenting. Which mm-hmm. again, none of us are parents. So but at the same time, it still doesn't seem like great parenting advice. But I just have an incredible empathetic understanding of other people. So it's basically like I am a parent. <laughs> it's basically like that. Basically like that. You have Renata. A low point. I do. And this low point. So what I don't think it's bad in the way that Margaret and Kate's are. I think it's like a fine, you know, bit of writing and stuff, but it's low because this is the part that made us all cry. (laughs) And it is offensive to have had such a strong emotional reaction to this. And I think also, by the way, so I finished reading this before these two and they were like, you know, in the chat, like, uh, this book sucks. I can't believe we read it. And I was like, I didn't think it was that bad. And then they got to that point and they were like, oh no, like the Rachel Hollis empathy switch has been like really dialed up after reading this story and what it is. And again, th- this is really strong content warning for suicide. But when Rachel was 14, she's the one who discovered that her older brother had killed himself. And she like walked into the room and found him dead and so she had to call 911 and because of her shitty 
upbringing she's on the phone to 911 like is my brother going to hell is my brother going to hell because he killed himself i think he's going to hell and she describes just being hysterical with the 911 operator and then you know then her, they have her dad and grandfather are both pentecostal preachers so yeah. it explains why like like she didn't she comes by a lot of her garbage honestly she just doesn't yeah. catalog it as responsibly as i would prefer yeah you know again growth she's working on it maybe in three more books i don't know (laughs) um i guess we'll find out (laughs) yeah but then um you know a a week later or something she gets a note in the mail and it's from the 911 operator and it's you know dear rachel you did the right thing and i just want you to know that your brother is going to heaven and it's really no, moving. No, no. It's really emotional. It's really emotional. I'm so mad at you for bringing this up. Yeah, I'm it's sorry. It's I really just, untoward. I don't appreciate it. And but I it, just, I think it's such a good moment. And I think like something that's really big for me in my life and like my traumas is that I'm a really big believer in doing kind of like small gestures for people yes. and like. Yes you know, understanding that like little things can have a really big effect. And so I really try to do that for people and just seeing, not that I've ever done something like this. You don't but know just, that. Well, you could have. <laughs> I suppose. But um, just having this acknowledge and just hearing about this hero 911 operator, it just it just really moved me. And someone else should talk, please. So I also, <laughs> I listened to the audiobook. I also listened to the audiobook. Meredith asked about this, so. And um, during this chapter, she was also crying, trying to tell this story yeah. in a way that was very, it was very genuine. It was not like, I'm putting on an act for reading this thing for my book. Like, she was very clearly struggling to get this story out without crying. So I'm sobbing into my coffee mm. while she's sobbing on the audiobook telling this story. And it was just, it was, it was, it was a lot. It was a lot for fucking 7 a.m. when I was listening to it. Also but. a lot for um, 2 p.m. biking <laughs> in Newburyport <laughs> with uh, like, I won't put in headphones because you sort of need to have like the full sound awareness around you. So I just had my phone like in my jean jacket pocket with like the speaker up and it was just playing out loud. It's just like tears streaming down my face. I'm sure, I'm sure no one in Newburyport was worried. <laughs> Oh Everybody gosh. felt like it was super normal. That I had to stop and by, pause it. That's drive-by emotional terrorism. Luckily, there weren't a lot of there weren't a lot of pedestrians around. Um, <laughs> but I think what's really important about this story, and I actually think that Rachel sort of gets to that, um, is that when you're experiencing trauma like that, having someone who's capable of showing up, even if it's a stranger just showing up in a very clear way and saying like, I see you, the specific person dealing with this grief. I see you. I see your concerns. I see your feelings. You're not lost inside the enormity of this tragedy. Like that is the most powerful thing you can do. And it is both harder and easier than you imagine, right? It's hard because when someone is experiencing a trauma you haven't experienced, it does feel like they're going through something huge and impossible and you never want to diminish it or speak about it in a way that is going to make things worse for them. And it feels so high stakes. And sometimes things feel hard because they're hard. It doesn't mean you don't do them. Yeah. Um, And she even talks about how like it was 
there there were everyone everyone in her family everyone showed up from her family to help with this like everyone but to help her parents yeah and that like things were coming for her parents and everyone was acknowledging her parents and to get this letter in the mail addressed to her specifically saying like i recognize your grief i see that you're in pain and i want to do what i can to help you and to help alleviate that and how meaningful, especially for a child, especially for a child. Yeah. Um, for anyone, for anyone of any age. And so just if you have a friend who's in a hard place, if you can just write to them and you don't have to say the perfect thing, you can say, I don't know how to say the perfect thing here, but I yeah. still see you. I see you experiencing this pain and I hate that this is happening. Right. E- even just as simple as that and as direct just it's such a huge thing because very few people um, know to do that. Very few people have an understanding that that's something they're allowed to do and that that's something that helps. Um, Yeah. I think people feel so awkward about it. And I mean, I still, this is something that I through the years have made an attempt to, to get better at, at doing because of, you know, because of receiving these little gestures and realizing like if someone does something nice you're not thinking like who's this weirdo this is awkward why are they like writing me this you know like you're not feeling that you're feeling like thank you but it's easy to imagine it's easy to feel self-conscious and imagine a worse response than what you're actually getting the phrase that you want to make sure you include in these kind of things is there is no obligation to respond yeah right Just always make sure the thing that I try to tell people is like, there's nothing you can do while grieving that is going to hurt or offend me. Right. Like this is a, this is a fault free zone. Right. So show up or don't show up exactly as you're capable of and know that this is a space where there's plenty of grace for it. Right. And in the spaces where you can honestly offer that, offer it and be very transparent about it. And, and in general, just know, who does or doesn't get responded to under those conditions, like has literally no relationship to what the content of the message is, what the content of the person's relationship with you is. It's just like, where are they in their hard season today? And (laughs) do they have the bandwidth for text messaging right now? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, Uh, And I want to tie this in quickly to one other thing about Rachel that I, that I related to both in a good and a bad way. And she calls herself a Pollyanna and she talks about how she knows that that can be annoying sometimes. And I, in the same way, like the phrase on the bright side is like (laughs) always on the tip of my tongue. Like that's how I'm always trying to be. And I think that is helpful for me, but I have had to learn that there's a lot of times when people like don't want to hear that. And like, they need to not, they're not, in the bright side zone yet. And they just want someone to be like, I'm sorry, that sucks. Yeah. And, and I, Rachel's had to look, Rachel maybe based on this book is still kind of learning that, but, but I think she that's about moments where she knows it in moments when she doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I just can't state enough. Like a lot of people feel like, well, that doesn't seem like it's doing anything that does so much. Just be like, what you're experiencing right now is bullshit. <laughs> It yeah. genuinely does mean a lot to the person who's in the middle of it and is like, this seems like it's bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> Just so somebody else be like, yeah, it's garbage. You're you're going through this. It, it's much more meaningful than I think people realize. Um, yeah. And usually more helpful than being like, here's how you can fix it. 
Yeah. Yeah. There's um, really wise things happening in the chat and I'm yeah. not going to acknowledge it right now other than to say that I see you. Yeah. And I you're think, valid. I and think I love in you. Fact, what we should do now is perhaps move on to dramatic reading. <laughs> yeah, we mm-hmm. should. And by the way, we're not going to read the 911 story because we're not emotional. We're not terrorists. monsters. We're no. not. <laughs> We're we're either not emotional terrorists or recovering emotional terrorists, depending. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> what I did to the streets of Newburyport, I will not do to you. <laughs> uh, so I believe that Margaret is up first. Yes. And so, she's going to get into some home renovation. We mentioned the uh, the feeling that this book had a word count that Rachel was struggling to meet. And I feel like few things illustrated that better to me than this belabored anecdote. Have you ever covered old paint? I know I'm terrible at transitions, but just go with me for a minute. Imagine you've just bought a little bungalow in the suburbs of your favorite city. If it's LA, that bungalow costs you a cool million. If it's Minneapolis, you got it for 153000 using your used Honda Simic as a down payment. Either way, imagine that the bathroom in your new little bungalow is a hideously shiny avocado green. And for clarity, this is not fresh-cut avocado green. This is that weird, poopy green color the avocado turns when it's gotten more than six minutes of access to oxygen. You're so excited about your new home, but the poopy green avocado bathroom is the first thing you want to change. You think it'll be easy. You think you just need to pick out a fabulous new color to spread over the top of that offending shade of rotting produce. So you go and get all of your supplies, and you turn on some music, and putrid avocado gives way to the fresh off-white of Swiss coffee with each glide of your roller brush. You're so proud of yourself. You're covered up that offending shade with something that's much more appropriate, much more you. Every time you walk by your darling little bathroom, the cover of a newly laid egg, you feel deeply satisfied with yourself. A few days later, you decide to take a long, hot bubble bath to soak your aching muscles after all the work you've done on the house. You get the, t- you get the water to the perfect bath temperature, hot enough to turn your whole body lobster red. And then you slide down and lie in there long enough that your fingers and toes are shriveled until the prince could no longer incriminate you at a crime scene. As you stand to get out of the tub, you gasp in horror when you see it. All around your newly decorated bathroom, that fresh coat of paint is bubbling up. Your walls have the complexion of an eighth grader in rows of puberty. What on earth? You reach out and touch one of the biggest bubbles and it breaks, revealing the offending shade of avocado it was before. What just happened? Well, in remodel terms, what just happened is that you tried to put a fresh coat over an old coat, but didn't do anything to make sure the new paint would stick. Also, the original paint was likely a high gloss, making it incredibly difficult to cover. On top of an improper application, you then created a perfect storm for the destruction of your project with both heat and moisture from your bath. Your bathroom makeover never stood a chance. What does any of this have to do with what you're currently living with? Nothing at all. The bean has nothing to do with what you're going through, but it's a perfect illustration for trying to pretend that you don't have negative, ugly feelings about what's happening when you do. Or even better, maybe you're allowing yourself to process the feelings that are allowed and acceptable, but covering up the ones you think people might like might make people think less of you. 
if we tiptoe back over to the paint analogy for a second, the right way to have remodeled that bathroom involves both sandpaper and a coat of primer. Said another way, you have to dig into the offending layer and then add another layer of work that makes the next layer stick. Hello, is this thing on? I wish it weren't, Rachel. <laughs> I would have turned it off a long time ago. Yeah. So, yep. There you go. That's Rachel. That's Rachel's belabored analogy. I especially yeah. like the point where she's like, also the original paint was likely a high gloss. It's like, so that's why it was a shiny avocado bathroom. I see. We Great. really wanted Excellent. to put all the HGTV knowledge you gleaned into this. <laughs> the offending layer should have been a, should have been the title. You're right, Annie. It's very good. Anyways, yep, that was my dramatic. <sighs> all right. You're welcome. Well, I'm up next, and my dramatic reading is a kind of a call out of of us. <laughs> <laughs> Another way that guilt might show up for you inside of or after crisis is the guilt that other people think you are required to carry. It's the man who wants to date again after the loss of his wife, but doesn't because his children are angry at him for moving on. It's the girl in college who finally finds the courage to admit who she really is, only to be faced with the recriminations offered her by concerned family members. It's the author who's written for years about working on her marriage and the internet bullies who say horrible things when that marriage ends, dot, dot, dot. I don't read the comments, but somehow <laughs> they find their way to me through anxious friends and family who seem to think that strangers on the internet might get some say in my life. Sometimes the sharing is cryptic. Like when my aunt will text me, Oh, Rachel, I can't believe the things they're saying about you on Facebook. Sometimes it's specific, like people reaching out and asking for a refund to a women's conference they attended years before due to the fact that I'm a misleading liar and because she thought she was being taught by a God-fearing woman <laughs> and since only a sinner contemplates divorce, I rebuke everything you've taught me. As if the pain of the decision to end our marriage isn't hard enough, as if breaking this news to our children wasn't one of the most gut-wrenching moments of our lives. As if fighting to still be a family and still remain friends, even in the midst of it all, isn't nearly impossible to carry. As if the years I have spent teaching negates the fact that I am, and have only ever been, a human being navigating my way through to the best of my ability. Here's what I say to that. And my response isn't truly for the people who think I should carry some guilt for getting divorced. No, my response is for anyone who finds themselves trying to shake loose the shame others ask them to carry, and they need a go-to response. Try this one. I will not hold space for your expectations, your recriminations, or your judgment. So Unless don't listen to the podcast, Rachel. Yeah. <laughs> Please, Rachel, never listen to the podcast. Yeah, yeah not invited. Um, so my dramatic reading is uh, the moment that, well, one of the, one of the several moments where she really throws Dave under the bus. So here we go. The gist of the book is the idea that we all have one of two mindsets, a fixed mindset, meaning that you believe whatever talents, skills, knowledge, or abilities you have are fixed and cannot be changed, or you have a growth mindset meaning that you believe you can develop new talents, learn new skills, gain more knowledge and abilities for as long as you're on the planet. Fixed mindset people have a past that shapes their perspective, the way they see the world around them, and there's that word perspective again, 
And here's the kicker. They don't believe it's possible to make themselves different or better. It's important to note that that part is in bold. <laughs> when they see people grow or change or achieve in ways they can't, they believe those people are just wired differently. Dave spent most of his life with a fixed mindset. And as he wrote in his book, he has actively worked for years to change this. On the flip side, I always have had a growth mindset. Not on purpose. Honestly, I didn't even know the words for what to call this part of my personality until I read Carol Dweck's book. I just truly have always believed I could do anything if I tried hard enough. By contrast, my husband grew up believing he could do as much as he was capable of doing, but that it was limited by what was already inside of him. The interesting thing is that Dave and I had wildly different childhoods. For all intents and purposes, everything about the way I grew up reinforced how little access I had to resources, <laughs> how few people supported me, how very harsh life could be. And yet, I think there was something about everything I didn't have that made me view the world as a puzzle to figure out. At a very early age, I came to the conclusion that the only thing standing between me and anything I desired was knowledge I didn't yet possess. I also believe that if I was willing to work hard and continue to study, I could learn how to do anything better. I've approached every area of my life this way. Business, certainly. My mental and emotional health. How to be a better parent. How to be kinder to myself. People laugh at our conferences when I tell them the secret to my success is Google, but it's the absolute truth. Every single thing I know, I fought to learn. Dave, on the other hand, was naturally smart, talented, <laughs> and charming, and he had two loving parents who encouraged him to live into his abilities. He grew up in a middle-class neighborhood in the suburbs of Southern California, and while he worked hard in his life as a straight, white, Christian man living in America, there wasn't a lot of opposition and therefore not much of anything to overcome. While many people would see what many people would see as advantages in his childhood would end up hindering him as an adult. When you believe your talents and skills are natural and God-given, you'll never learn to push past the perceived limits you see as preordained. Mm -hmm. Tell us how you really feel about Dave, <laughs> Rachel. Yeah, tell us more about Dave. <laughs> Next book. Yes. Um, all right. I do think we should play Would You Rather. I do think we should play Would You Rather. I think we have to I think to play we should also rather. maybe make some time for questions at the mm -hmm. end because there are a yeah, lot there. I peeked mm -hmm. at questions. We have answered some of them. Okay. Um, but yes. Yes. Okay. So one thing we didn't get into is that specifically she mentions that Dave had never been to a funeral before when they got together. And mm -hmm. she was like, really? I've been to over 50 funerals. <laughs> Which is <laughs> a weird flex. It's such a weird flex. And then she explains it. as She's like, I have a big family and we always go to the funeral just to show support, even if we didn't know. Like, it makes sense. But objectively, I've been to over 50 funerals is a weird flex. So with that said, would you rather go to 50 funerals or attend one of Rachel Hollis's motivational speeches? Um, you know, I don't own any black. I, do, I don't own any black. And I have oh, a, I, my, the closest thing I have. A, well, I have a black jumpsuit, but I don't feel like that's very funeral appropriate. I have like some Halloween, like I got a black blouse yes. with like little skulls on it. I'm sure that would be great at a funeral. I got a Ouija board jumper. But, <laughs> so not, you know, not, I don't have great funeral clothes. I no. do have great conference clothes. <laughs> yeah. So true. I think I'll go to one of her conferences or motivational speeches. I feel like 50 first funerals would just be like a really stellar memoir for me. 
And I have one subdued navy sheath dress that can like pass as morning clothes. So I think I'm going to go to the 50 funerals. And yeah, then maybe are- I'll have girl wash your funeral by Margaret H. Willison. <laughs> yeah. People Before in the chat are Parker pointing Collins. out that you can get good food at funerals usually. Um, also I- a consideration. I specifically bought a plain black dress because I had so many patterned leggings and patterned cardigans. <laughs> I was like, I need a neutral to go with these accessories. <laughs> so I do have that. But just in terms of time commitment, I mean, 50 funeral that's, that's every week for almost a year. Um, Look, my year of living biblically, that was also a great seller. So yes, <laughs> yes. I, honestly, it seems like this maybe is the book that I should write. I have a lot of thoughts about grieving. Yes. <laughs> be a great venue for it. Yes, we will support you. Um, we'll yeah. blurb it. Um, <laughs> but anyway, just in terms of time commitment and also at conferences, usually you can get some cool, you know, maybe I'm running low on tote bags or something. I'll go to her motivational conference mm-hmm. for just one. Uh, Someone asked, is 51st Funerals a really depressing Drew Barrymore movie? I think it's the yeah. sequel to 51st Dates, where Adam Sandler's died and Drew Barrymore is widowed, but she can't remember that either. And she just has to go through it 50 different times before she finally grasps that it's true and moves on to the to the, to the the next husband. And it's a little bit like that movie, P.S. I Love You, where like Adam Sandler has like come up in advance with like 50 different types of funerals. To help her process her feelings and eventually make her ready for the love of, I don't know, Gerard Butler or whichever one is second in P.S. I love you. (laughs) Well, and um, Nora in the chat pointed out that going to 50 funerals makes it sound like she has killed those people, (laughs) which is also a different movie. Like that's, Mm -hmm. you know, the mystery thriller uh, movie. Well, look. Version. everybody's been familiar with me long enough to know that there must be some real gnarly skeletons in this closet. Would anybody be that surprised if they were like actually secretly Margaret's a serial killer? <laughs> <laughs> like an angel of death type serial killer, right? Um, where like I'd kill the people, but then I would just pop up in their family's lives and be like, oh my God, I'm so sorry for your loss. Now I want to write that book. <laughs> all right. We're all leaving this with a to-do list. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to have to hack our courage, get these books written, get these crimes committed. Exactly. Yes. Um, all right. How about, would you rather go on a juice cleanse or eat at Steaks and Cakes, which is, of course, the fictional restaurant from Christian Mingle, the movie that serves only <laughs> steaks and cakes. Proud sponsor of this podcast. Sponsor. <laughs> um, I got I to, you know, I don't like. I don't like juice cleansing. I'm, you know, I like my cake. I like my steaks. I love our sponsor and all of the support they've given us over the years. Mm-hmm. So I have to go with steaks and cakes. Amen. Amen. And I, as a vegetarian, I am cakes only, but I'll, I'll go there with you. Yeah. I would be with you guys because I, I have a wardrobe I'm really attached to and I don't want my figure to change that much, either growing or shrinking the way a juice cleanse would make it. So definitely mm-hmm. steaks and cakes. Soon as the pandemic's over, steaks and cakes. Mm -hmm. Carrie, you know this. You know that steaks and cakes does not have any dietary alterations. You cannot get a gluten-free cake at steaks and cakes. Just cakes and full platters (laughs) of steaks. No sides. No drinks. Uh, Yeah. And also the restaurant is clearly just the kitchen in someone's house. But it is a restaurant. (laughs) All right. And then last up, we do have a game we play sometimes called Fucking, Marrying, Killing, of course, in tribute to Bill O'Reilly. 
And I will ask of fucking marrying and killing for Dave Hollis, Rachel's ex-husband, Colton Underwood, who was the virgin bachelor whose book we read last year. Um, Margaret, I'm sure you're familiar. And then um, intimately. Yeah. And, and then Christian Gray. That's (laughs) That's another book you could write though. People would read it. Uh, All right. So Dave Hollis, Colton Underwood, Christian Gray, fucking marrying, killing. This is really difficult. <laughs> no, it's not. Here's what it is. Is you are marrying Christian Grey. Obviously, he's the richest one. Um, you're fucking Colton Underwood because, like, whatever. It's probably going to be, like, quick. And then you're killing Dave Hollis. See, I I had, don't agree. I had flipped it. Okay. okay. I had, I'm willing to hear um married christian gray for the money obviously obviously you always marry christian gray for the money always. um and i no i did it the same way as you i don't know why i said i flipped it mm. no fucking guys, colton marrying or killing dave i know that christian gray has more money than dave and i do obviously recognize the validity of that as a motivator <laughs> <laughs> I think you are not contending with his obsessive personality. I don't think that divorce situation would be as easy as you're imagining it. So I'm killing Christian Gray. Okay. Goodbye. Don't want that energy anywhere near me. I'm marrying Dave because what's he? If if I divorce him, he'd be like, "Oh, my fixed mindset says I can't succeed in this marriage." So peace. <laughs> I'll be like, "Thanks. I'll take your Disney money. It's good. <laughs> peace." Um, and I'm fucking Colton because it'd be over fast. <laughs> yeah. That's, yeah. I think we're all in agreement on that one anyway. Yeah. Yep. Um, and if he has a good time, he thinks I'm the greatest person in the world. So I love that kind of, um, I love to get that, that really high calorie approval. So easy. Um, all right. Well, we'll move on quickly to Reader's Advisory, which uh, people have already been discussing this. That link is down there in the in the green button in the chat. And if you're listening to the podcast later, we'll have it up also at worstbestsellers.com, our website. Uh, I want to give a shout out to two fiction books that we put on there that might seem like a stretch if you are ignorant, but <laughs> they actually tie in quite well. And the books are The Valley and the Flood by Rebecca Mahoney and Things That Grow by Meredith Goldstein which are both um, fiction, YA fiction that both had books at Porter Square events and Porter's, events at Porter Square Books, whatever. Friends of they the were, podcast. They were this. Yeah. Meredith Goldstein did not sponsor this podcast with anything <laughs> other than her like loving and supportive friendship. Yes, correct. Uh-huh. Um, but they're both just books that we had read recently, had attended events for recently, and that are both about a, a grief journey. And so if you are on a grief journey or just want to read about one, they're both great choices for that. Um, so in the interest of time, why don't we all pick one um, and the rest will be, you know, on the green button that's below or on our website. Mm-hmm. Um, and one that I read, um, one of the few books I read last year actually was uh, Solutions and Other Problems by Ali Broche, who is maybe best known for Hyperbole and a Half, which was her webcomic that was turned into a book. Um, And it is largely a book that she had started to write. And then suddenly um, her sister also died by suicide and uh, she got divorced and suddenly it was an entirely different book. And there is, I cried laughing and also just cried reading this book. And it is a fantastic follow-up to Hyperbole and a Half and highly recommend it. 
I didn't actually contribute anything to this, but <laughs> I just glanced at it. And there's one that I can lay like, claim to, so I'm going to. And that is uh, the Sam Irby essays. Uh, wow, no thank you. Because Sam Irby is simply one of the funniest writers of all time. Um, and, and and also writes about shitting her pants on occasion. <laughs> she does, but in a more humorous, sincerely humorous way. So just 10 out of 10 do recommend Sam Irby. Yes. Um, okay, let us move on to our favorite game, The Rock, Paper, Snicked, where Kate will say who Dwayne The Rock Johnson would be if he were in this book, and I'll say who Wolverine would be if he were in this mm-hmm. book. And Margaret will choose which most enhances the book, or she can choose Paper, which is to leave it as is. Um, so if Dwayne The Rock Johnson were in this book, quite simply, um, he would be the gentleman behind the stand at the juice cleanse that... Uh, Rachel and her friends went to, and he would warn them off of this, mm. and you know, save... and try to talk them into a cod diet instead. Yeah, you a, know, a, a cod diet a, and Terramana tequila. A different type <laughs> of of you know re envisioning their health and dietary uh, stuff, and that anecdote would be gone. Yeah, she wouldn't <laughs> shit herself from the cod. Yeah, so right. those pants. Uh, if Wolverine were in this book, he would punch Dave Hollis in the face. Hmm. I think I'm going to have to go with Snicked because the Dave punching was really, <laughs> really missing for me. And while I don't support the juice cleanse, I did like the growth of Rachel mm-hmm. not recommending it. And the insight that came from the juice cleanse was really valuable. And if uh, The Rock talked you out of it, who knows? If... um. If it would have gotten there. So snicked. Who knows where she'd be. I'm picking snicked today. Thank you. That's fair. It's a good, that's a good one. Um, Thank so you. it is in the interest of time, it is uh, an hour and 30 minutes. Josh, do we have time to answer a couple questions? I think because we're not occupying the bookstore. Yeah. The bookstore website we is probably open. can. Oh, um, Hey, here's Josh. Just, just unplug us. Uh, the answer is yes, you have time for questions. Great. All right. Well, that's great because our next segment would be Duarte's Corner. And in the questions, um, Grace has asked, how is Duarte doing today? And Alex has asked, how do you record Duarte? And this is this is how the sausage gets made, actually, is that he does not meow on command. I'm pretty sure anything along those lines would be like animal cruelty. And so... Mm-hmm. He does have a loud and distinctive meow, as you know. And so when he is hungry or there's something outside or a ghost inside or anything like that, he he just meows. And then I follow him around with my phone and record it. And then I save it for later. And then we paste it in the podcast. Uh, and right now, how he is, he's asleep. And I'm so glad because <laughs> he, I, I posted on Instagram, my podcasting, setup is so precarious and fragile and Duarte if he's awake (sighs) he likes to like hop up on the keyboard and like rub his face on the corner of the laptop and I'm so scared that he would do that and unplug me and I would be gone from the video so he's (laughs) asleep I'm not going to bother him and I I think again if I try to move my camera to pick up Duarte I'm gonna unplug my network cable but I will post him on my Instagram I'll take a picture right now um um, Renata Snacks on Instagram, and that's where Duarte lives. All right. While she's doing that, um, okay. somebody asked, there it is, 
Funbreaker asks, what was the biggest cry you've ever had because of a book? And I'm asking that one because I know the answer to it off the top of my head. Mm-hmm. And I, that is not always true for some of these questions. Mm-hmm. Um, and mine, actually, the biggest cry I ever had over a book was Aristotle and Dante discover the secrets of the universe, which not only did I sob when reading it, sob when listening to the audiobook, mm-hmm. sob when rereading it, in trying to describe it on the podcast, every single time I have recommended it, I have put it on my end of the year list, I have tried to describe it, I have burst into tears in the very action of talking about the book. So that's my number one slot. Mm-hmm. It's a good one. Um, mine is Codename Verity. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I I made the mistake of reading that like on a public train and it got real hairy. <laughs> um, and just, I can barely think of, I can barely think of the big sections in that book without full waterworks coming down my face. And I love it. It's a fantastic book if you haven't read it. I definitely cried at both of those books. <laughs> um, I think for me that like the, Biggest cry, and this sticks out in my memory, even though it was a very long time ago. It was right after college. I went on this road trip and we were like camping. And so, and we were up in the mountains. So I was like lightly sleep deprived and altitude sickness, which is like making me more inclined to cry. But I, uh, the book, What is the What by Dave Eggers, which is, um, it's fictionalized nonfiction about the life of a, a Sudanese lost boy. And I think no matter what, I think I would cry because it's a it's a horrible story and horrible things happen to these like real boys and real humans. But those conditions, I just like sobbed. And then we were like hiking in the Grand Canyon. I was just like crying, just thinking about this book, just like a full day of outdoorsy crying over the Sudanese lost boys. And I'm a very fun person to take a vacation with. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, So the next question on here is uh, from Nicole, my cousin, um, and frequent guest of this podcast. What piece of advice would each of you give to Rachel Hollis? I I can answer this one, too. Um, I I think she's got to she's got to deal with some of her food stuff. I do like Mm -hmm. very genuinely do believe that this is something that she struggles with and something that I think in her mind, at least from how she portrays herself in these books and how she talks about food and her body and other people's bodies in these books. I think she thinks that she has conquered this. And I do think she still is very, it's better in this book, but I do think she still has very dangerous ideas about eating. Yeah. I I think, um, that is excellent advice. I think I would also encourage her to lean in a little bit more. Like, I think she's on the right track of how to comfort people when they're grieving. And I think, again, some of this just comes from writing a book and needing to take a hard line. But I think she probably could. Um, I think it was Ashley in the chat. And this is something I've had to learn, too, to, to ask if someone just wants to vent or if they want to solve problems. I think that's a really valuable question to have in your tool set when you're talking to someone. And I think maybe she is always in problem solving mode, or at least that's kind of the vibe she gives. And so I encourage her to, to check into that. Yeah. Um, I would encourage her to learn the difference between real and Instagram real. Sorry, I had air quotes there, right? Which is like when 
like someone posts a picture and they're like, oh my God, I'm such a mess making pancakes with my kids. And they've got like <laughs> like a smear of pancake batter on their cheek and their hair is in like a messy quote unquote top knot that actually looks really chic. And like they've obviously got highlighter on, but they're being real because there's a smear of batter on their cheek. She always wants to be real like that. And she sometimes ends up being actually real, but she doesn't. I think she has too much confidence in how well she can sort of manipulate other people's perceptions of how much she's disclosing and how much the intimacy between her and her readers is mutual. And for that, I would point to in the introduction, she says, I will, I will add a bit more honesty to this introduction and tell you something in confidence, bitch. (laughs) Nothing you are putting in your published memoir is in confidence. (laughs) That is not how that works. That's not a thing. If you're disclosing, like, so I would just, I would ask her to think about that more critically and practice it more responsibly. That's what I would tell Rachel Hollis to do. That's legit. Um, So George wants to know what season we're in, which, Mm. which feels, you know, appropriate for this. Is this little G? Uh, No, I don't believe so. Not little Mm. George. Um, but I, I can safely say that I am in, I am in the during time season and it's bad and I don't like it. Uh, I have had a complete, the number of times that I have watched the West wing in the past, a show that I didn't watch for four years for probably very obvious reasons. That was my favorite show for a very long time. It's a show that I can recite and I'm not going to tell you how many hours I've spent watching it since January 20th because I still have like this much shame left. <laughs> you shouldn't. Marinata, what's your season looking like? Nice season. Um, yeah, it is the during times. I am hashtag blessed to share that I did get my first vaccine dose last Me week. Me too. Just exciting. I'm, I'm feeling good about that. But like people said, the first dose, you don't have very uh, good side effects. And I have to say, I've been feeling like garbage for a week and luckily I took today off because normally I work late on Wednesdays. So I, I didn't go to work and I just like slept a bunch. Um, and so I'm hoping that's just like my body preparing to defend me from COVID. But right now I'm just still very much like, I feel bad and I'm also not fully immunized. And, but I also, the season I'm in is like happy to have all of you here. I know so many people in the chat are happy for our vaccines and sorry to everyone who hasn't gotten them yet. And I hope you can soon. If you live in the Boston area or have a doctor in the Boston area, see if you can find on my Twitter page information about getting a shot at the BMC. Because um, if you call in by phone, that's been the place where almost everyone I know has gotten their shots. And if any of you want to temporarily become my roommates to do that, I just, you know, I'm just throwing out there that that would be perfectly reasonable to me. Um, What kind of season am I in? I'm in, uh, you know, it's a, it's a tough season. I don't think this is a good season for anyone, but I think I've become acclimated to the bad parts of the season. And like recently shit has been looking up. I got a shot. The weather's been nice. I'm, I'm on, I'm on day, day three of a four day vacation. More of me, a number of days. I've been away a number of days. Um, so, you know, I feel I feel okay in that respect. 
so I don't know. I'm in like a medium season. Mm-hmm. And somebody asked where this comes from. And it's like the Bible verse that I think is also either a mama's and a papa's song or a bird's song. Um, yeah. And it's like there's a there for everything, for everything there is a season. season, you know, a time to laugh, a time to cry, you know. Um, so I think that that's where it comes from. And so like, if you're in a hard season, like you're in the season where bad things happen and Rachel uses it constantly. constantly and doesn't explain it until halfway through the book. So I was very confused. No, it's not great. So All that's, right. that's um, my season. Um, so I'm going to do one more question and then we'll do our outro, um, which is a more thinky question, which is what if, are some of the common things in self-help books you've read that feel like bad takes out of touch or just plain wrong. I think we covered some of them, some of the things in here um, that have come up. Um, I think, God, there's so much. Well, uh, okay. Stuff. Yeah. Well, I think what I want to talk about is, is of course the secret, which <laughs> as you know, has taken the secret does live rent free in my brain. All of our brains. <laughs> And I do think aspects because it's real. Because it's real, it is the law of attraction. <laughs> secret I do works. Feel like, I do feel like there's pieces of the secret that are good. Like again, I generally have a pretty positive attitude, and I think if you are trying to focus on the good things, you'll notice them more. But if you focus on good things, it doesn't literally make them happen. And I think just, I think Rachel sort of is running into this as well where she's like I believe I can do anything I put my mind to and I can google it and I can learn how to do stuff and in some cases like yes you can like if you want to learn how to you know change a tire or whatever like yeah watch a youtube video but there's some things you can't do no matter how hard you try or how positive your vibes are and you just can't change some things I mean and you know she can't bring her marriage back she can't bring someone back from the dead you can't do that. The secret can't do that. Nobody can do that. Well, and I the think secret you t- can bring people back from the dead, but as we know, they come back horribly changed. So <laughs> be fucking careful about that. Um, I, I agree with everything Renata said, and it is something I think that comes up again and again in these books. Um, for me, more specifically, the first thing that came to mind um, is just the the gender stuff in so many of these books like of course like men are from mars women are from venus and the um what was it wasn't sex in the single woman it was the other one by her that we did oh yeah helen Gurley brown yeah was uh, a real wow <laughs> um but even like stuff in in rachel hollis's books like there's just a lot of baked in heteronormativity and expectations and it is like as a queer woman reading these, it is always just like I either feel like I don't exist, I'm a token, or I don't I don't even know. Some of them fucking men are from Mars, women are from Venus. I could talk about that book for a hundred yeah. more episodes because it was so bizarre. And and again, happy Trans Day of Visibility. Yes. Uh, also, Auden in the chat, the book was called Having It All. Yes. Um, so I think something that's common to what both of you guys said, but elaborating is that I think the problem with all self-help books is like you were saying, Renata, there's usually like a kernel of effectiveness that is then like hardened into a rule that ceases to be effective. Right. And I think the best example of that is the whole, he's just not that into you book, Mm. which I have 
I, I do hate myself enough to have read, not because I thought it was going to give me insight, but because it made me so mad that I wanted to be completely informed in my loathing. And that meant I had to read it. I try not to do that, but I did this time. And I think the reason it makes me so mad is because there is sort of an essential truth, right? That like people show when they value you. And if someone is not behaving in a way that communicates value for you, that is not a sign that you should hang around and try to convince them that you're sufficiently valuable, right? That is a sign that you should divest from that relationship and move on to somebody who is excited to spend time with you, right? But then they translate it into all of this like hardline stuff. Like if he doesn't do this, he's just not that into you. If he doesn't do that, he's just not that into you. And it's like, actually everyone is an individual and it will show up in different ways with different people and having this rigid set of expectations for how someone will show up is just setting yourself up to feel devalued constantly uh, when instead you could be more attuned to the individuals. And then it also becomes like a shaming device, right? So there's this message of encouragement, like learn what it looks like when someone is excited to be with you and try to find relationships like that, right? And it becomes, you're an idiot because all of these signs make it clear that this person thinks you're garbage and you don't even know it. And you're just still out here caring for them. And it's just like, okay, this is just, this is just counter. This is, this is, this is running completely counter to everything that you actually want to accomplish. And I think that that's true of so many advice books is you have an idea that in 150 words is great. That when you extend it to, you know, the word count of a full book is just nailed down in such a way that it's no longer actually helpful. Yeah, that nailed that one. Yeah, and that's why um, advice yeah. columns are better than books, and <laughs> also why TV is better than books. Good people. <laughs> um, so that's because I, I want to be conscious of time. Yeah. Um, there are a couple more questions in there. If your question didn't get answered and you're genuinely curious, find us on social media or Discord. Mm-hmm. Um, and our our boundaries are wide open to you. Yes, in this mm-hmm. season. Right. So I want to. I think we all want to thank you so much for coming. We're going to record the outro of the show because this is going to be an episode. So we do have to do that. But before we do that, I do just want to say, like, I genuinely, I cannot state enough how afraid Renata and I were that no one was going to come to this. So thank you, thank you, thank you so much. I mean, even though I it wa- wasn't as funny as maybe Interview with a Vampire was, no one was <laughs> fucking in front of Art in the Louvre. Or our, I feel like our notebook episode was really funny too. Yes. Oh yeah, crab yeah, no, no crab. <laughs> <laughs> no, no one got reincarnated as a swan. <laughs> no, no one, one got, got fucked to death. death. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy! By the way, spoilers for the end of the notebook. <laughs> telling you if you have more questions you can reach out to us on social media and how you can do that we're on facebook and instagram at worst bestsellers we're on twitter uh at worst bestseller with no s and that's because the s um was lost in the divorce
No, and we have a Goodreads group. I feel like I don't, it's fine. We have a Goodreads group. Okay, we can take that out. I'm just used to the rhythm of it. Um, so you can find <laughs> us on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Play. Amazon has podcasts. You know what the podcast apps are. Find them. Find us. Uh, and if you do find us there, if you subscribe to us and take a moment to rate and review, uh, when you rate and review, it moves us up on the charts a bit. It makes it easier for new people to find us. Uh, if you don't rate and review us, we may be forced to... Uh, sign you up for a juice cleanse and i think we've learned that that does not end well for anyone especially Uh, not your pants (laughs) you can also find us on patreon at patreon.com slash worst bestsellers patreon is a service where you pledge a small monthly recurring donation that goes to us to do things like uh buy new equipment and uh commission merch and all sorts of things and in uh, in exchange for that, we have a newsletter. We've got stickers and postcards that you can get in the mail. It's great. It's a very reciprocal thing all around. Uh, and I said merch. And we do have merch available. If you go to worstbestsellers.com and click on the button that says merch, you can find all sorts of designs from our podcast to wear on your body. Uh, and finally, we've got a Discord that we mentioned at the top of the show. Uh, and that also, it's great. Come talk to us. It's fun. We have no boundaries, as Renata said. And you can find that as well by going to worstbestsellers.com and clicking on the Discord link. Um, If you want to find me personally on social media and me and Duarte, both of us, um, we are on Twitter and Instagram at Renata Snacks. Uh, If you want to find me on social media, I am on Twitter, Instagram, basically all of the social medias at 14 across. And if you want to find me on social media, I am also on basically all of the social medias, but especially Instagram and Twitter as Mrs. Friday Next. And please follow me on Instagram because I'd really like to get to 10,000 followers so that I can get swipe up capacity. I've got 6,000 to go. (laughs) So it's the real reach, but I have confidence in the listeners here. Here's what, Margaret. Here's what. You should get divorced from Mr. Friday Next. (laughs) Write a book about it. Through the roof, baby. (laughs) I'll just change everything to Ms. Friday Next. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Um, Thanks again to everyone. And thank you, Josh. And thank you, Porter Square Books. And do buy books from them and note cards. I buy a lot. Every time I go into Porter Square Books, I spend like $50 on stationery. And a lot of people in the chat have received that stationery from me. And that's where it's from. People on the screen as well. Yeah. (laughs) It's great. I've also just put a link to a class I'm teaching on Jane Austen's Emma in the chat. Just if you like listening to my TED Talks, it's going to be that plus like one part literary analysis. So just just throwing it in there. It starts yes. tomorrow. So Yeah, sign up. You've got time. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I've hacked the 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 display setup for tomorrow's class. So thank you guys for letting me dress rehearse this. You're welcome. <laughs> happy to, happy to. Uh, and if you're listening to this at home, we will be back in two weeks with, uh, I didn't look at the name of the book. Oh, it's, it's Green Lights by Matthew McConaughey, which I'm thrilled about. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Okay. I feel like I've tried to say bye like 10 times. And right. for now, for real, goodbye. Bye. Good night. Bye, good night. bye guys. <laughs>